Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas, and we are talking today about the charter school ballot question that will be facing Massachusetts voters on Tuesday. It has emerged as probably the most contentious issue on the statewide ballot after the presidential race. And to sort things out and help uh, illuminate the situation, we have two of the leading lights of the Boston City Council joining us. City Councilor Ayanna Presley, an at-large councilor in her fourth term, and City Councilor Andrea Campbell, a first-term district city councilor from uh, representing Dorchester and Mattapan. Welcome, Ayana. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you Thank for you. having us. Thank you for having us. And so we are talking about the charter school ballot question, which will be question two uh, on, on the voters' ballots on Tuesday. And we have uh, been trying to sort through this, uh, you know, in, in, in every which way we can. And, and one thing that seems clear is that, that, is that Boston will be, uh, you know, affected probably as much or more than any other place in the state. And it's really the city has, has submerged as kind of ground zero or the center of the debate, you know, for good reason. I think there are at least over 10,000 uh, of the roughly 40,000 students in charter schools in the state are in Boston. Uh, at the same time, we hear the district schools saying that they are being affected more than any other district by this. So we thought we would bring in some Boston voices on this and, and uh, I'll start with you, Andrea. The city council took a vote recently on the ballot question that city councils and school committees across the state have been weighing in, you know, almost uniformly saying, you know, vote no on question two. This is going to hurt our, our, uh, our, our district school system. You were one of two Boston city councilors that, that were sort of dissenting votes on this, and you're supporting the ballot question. Can, can you tell us why, you, why you're a yes on question two? Um, first of all, Michael, thank you for having uh, me and Councillor Presley here today. It's actually great to be with her because I know this is going to be an incredible conversation um, and just that a conversation, which I think is a little different from some of the rallies and, um, and debates we go to. So thank you for that. Um, I, uh, yes, I voted no. First, I have to say, usually when I take a vote on, the re on a resolution, it is usually looking to truly represent what the language of the resolution says. And that, and that is that the entire Boston City Council, or that the Boston City Council stands um, together either in support or opposition of a resolution. So just as we did not take um, a vote or, or put forth a resolution for other ballot questions, I was hoping that we wouldn't do the same for question two because people on the body itself disagree as to what... Um, sort of disagree as to what position we'd like to take or we have a differing constituency. And so for me, I would have liked that we didn't have it, but since we did, I voted no, particularly on the resolution itself, um, in that I did not think it accomplished what we were trying to accomplish. And what I meant by that is, one, asking BPS to step up and truly put forth a plan or strategic plan to develop um, a response to those families who are in failing schools. So whether they're level three, level four, level five schools, there are some families sitting in a school that literally does not have a plan as to how they're gonna turn that around. Or specifically looking at the budget itself, over a billion dollars, what are we doing with that money? Or specifically putting forth a working group to advocate at the state level for us to actually get fully reimbursed according to the laws. So that's why I voted no. 
Since then, I've come out publicly in support of question two because of the overwhelming support within my own district for this question. Um, I was just at the Mattahunt School yesterday, which is in Mattapan. It is slated to be closed. I had a lot of families in there who were upset because this school has been a level four school for over three years and nothing has been done. And so these families are desperate for something else, whether it's Metco, uh, another charter school, a private school, parochial school. And I know my families don't have the luxury of moving and sometimes aren't lucky enough to get a seat at a parochial school, private school, another charter school, or, um, or level one or level two BPS school. So I chose to stand with them. And I also think that frustration, that desperation, and that pain is missing from the conversation, um, particularly at the political elected level. And so I choose to represent those voices. Understanding um, we still need to have parallel conversations when it comes to funding, when it comes to improving BPS district schools. Right. And uh, thank you very much for that. And so with all, all said and done, though, uh, Ayanna Presley, you land on the, on the no side on this, although I'm sure you, you, you sort of share a lot of, a lot of uh, your colleagues' concerns about the choices and the school options facing families in the city. Well, and also uh, share a frustration about the climate, which is not unique to this ballot question, but just um, uh, the the climate, culturally, politically, period, right now, which makes it very challenging for us to uh, get to a place of consensus and common ground. Um, you know, I was uh, sharing with my chief of staff earlier that this uh, quote really resonated with me yesterday that I retweeted today that said, uh, in, right now, our biggest challenge with communication is that uh, people are listening uh, for the purpose of replying, not listening to understand. Uh, and so, again, appreciate the invitation to come here and to have a conversation. Uh, to Councillor Campbell's point regarding um, the Mattahunt, uh, that is an example of a school that has been under-resourced and had to uh, have creative partnerships with institutions like Wheelock, and then when those partnerships ended, um, it was incredibly destabilizing. Uh, I voted no on the BPS budget, as did Councillor Campbell. Um, this is the second consecutive budget cycle where I have voted no for the BPS budget um, because I do believe that um, they need to do better uh, in terms of getting us to alignment and not having to make, I'm resentful of having to choose between an investment in early education or strengthening graduation. Our kids deserve a strong start and a strong finish, and we need every dollar. For as long as uh, the state is not reimbursing us, our schools are being forced to do more with less, and our, our children are suffering for that. Um, you know, but to I'm, that very I'm, point, I'm, yeah. With the, the, the suffering, you know, I think as Councillor Campbell said, when families are desperate for, for a choice and even leaving apart whether it's the Mattahunt and whether they may be forced to look for another school, uh, families that are just feeling like the choices and the options in the Boston schools are not up to snuff. They see friends who have the ability or the means to move to a but suburb Michael, for that choice doing that. And so when we have charters and people waiting for it, how do we, how but do this we is, deny that but for we, this coming two, two, year? Two things that are important for context. We've arrived at this moment with the very blunt tool of a ballot question because we could not get this done on the legislative level. Um, I am not anti-charter. I'm not opposed to choice. I support whatever works, whatever works for your child, public, private, parochial, um, charter, 
Right, but there's a special uh, obligation that has to do with the schools we're going to publicly fund. That distinguishes absolutely, them, right? absolutely. And, you know, I am very concerned about our sort of just throwing up our hands. I mean, I don't like how the question is written. So Councilor Campbell started talking about language. I don't love how the question is written, and I agree with her. This is a very blunt tool with which to do education reform. It's important that we recognize, however, that this impact, if this passes, and in my humble opinion, will not just be on our schools, but will be on the finances, the fiscal sustainability of the city as a whole. It stands to affect our bond rating, which affects our ability to borrow. Now, we do many things as a city councilor that people don't know we do that define our job. But one of the few things they know we do is vote up or down on the budget. And that includes the operating budget and the capital budget. And most of those infrastructure investments that we vote for or against come from borrowing. So this stands to... Uh, leave not only a tsunami of hurt for our schools, in my estimation, and creating more of a two-tiered system, but it stands to completely upset the city, uh, the city financially. And it's our job as counselors to be fiscal stewards. What is the point for making an investment in a school if that means that that playground and that community center is likely going to have to close? If we're going to see teachers laid off? I mean, you know, there's an intersectionality of all these things. We can't look at this in a silo, and we have to be honest about history. We're talking about the cumulative impact of the under-resourcing of our schools because the state has not reimbursed us. You're talking about the charter reimbursement? Correct. In, in particular? Correct. Mm -hmm. I, um, so one of the things I, I do agree with Councilor Presley on is, is the question. So I think it is, and I said this in a council hearing, absolutely ridiculous that we're doing education reform through a ballot initiative. I wish it were differently. This is an issue that should be discussed and figured out, not only at the state level, but also at the local level. And the state has not moved, has not come to a compromise, has not reached a compromise, and so here we are. I wish it were different, but obviously it is not. And so I look at the reality, at least within District 4, and I ask myself, Am I confident that BPS is going to get it right in a year, two, three, four, even five years for these families? And I'm not. If I were, I might have a different stance. I might have mm -hmm. taken a different position. Sitting through that last budget cycle, and we, yes, we both agreed um, and voted no on that BPS budget because we had to make sacrifices that we shouldn't have to make. But sitting through that last budget cycle, I was extremely concerned about the cost of transportation, $100 million, and that we were trying to fill a gap in the budget of $10 million by pulling $10 million from transportation. We sort of pulled that figure out of the air. And so I said, well, why not cut 20? Why not cut 30? I don't think the issues affecting BPS are financial. What I would like to see, I mean, the budget has overall has continued to gone up, to continue to go up. It is over a billion dollars now. We have 126 schools, 46 are ones and twos. That's great. And they seem to only be getting ones better. Ones and twos, meaning the Higher performing. Higher performing. The rest are level three, fours, and fives. And I have to pause and say, it bothers me when we celebrate our level threes. We were at the Mattahunt yesterday, and I tell, told folks, a level three, for all intents and purposes, is a level four school. The state can't make it a level four, usually, because they mm -hmm. can only make so many schools a level four mm -hmm. across the state. But that being said, we have level three, fours, and fives, most of, whom are, most of which are in my district or just outside the district, served by... Uh, district 4 residents or where D District 4 residents go. Mm -hmm. And so 
my question is for BPS, where's your plan for each and every school? So for each and every level three, four, and five, there should be almost like an IEP for a student, an individualized plan for each school. And us determining, is it finances there? Is it partnerships? Is it teaching? Is it something else? What else do we have to do to make that school great? And I think we'll find that for each school, it is different. It's not always financial. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it is partnerships, as Councilor Presley was talking about with the Mattahunt. Sometimes it's partnerships that dry up, or like okay. the Orchard Gardens, they had partnerships right. and they didn't anymore. So, so, so I'd like to see that until I see that, I have to fight for something that is an alternative for these families. Right. And so how about that, uh, Ayana? Because I, I think that one argument you do hear about a lot of people, uh, you know, who are opposed to question two is let's fix the schools, let's fix the district schools. But, uh, you know, as Councillor Campbell says, I mean, that we've been trying to fix the Boston schools for, for decades. And, and if there was some confidence that there would be a, uh, and know, we're still turnaround. one of the best urban school districts in the country, but and, and the wait lists are still long. But, but I would I also think. just say, and I want to echo I, that I don't, as a BPS I, grad. I yes. don't want us to throw yeah. our hands up and say we're going to stop pushing for greater accountability and reforms within right. our public school system, and potentially perpetuate a two-tiered system that serves the most highest achieving students. That you know, for all intents and purposes, have parents that are adept and super engaged. But isn't that true you, you, of the families that get in the exam schools? Or I was, we just had a piece today on our website reminding us that it's not just the exam schools. To go to Boston Arts Academy, you need to come up with a portfolio and, and put, you know, do an audition. I mean, there's a lot of hoops that people jump through in Boston because unlike other communities with district systems where you just go to the local school, there's a whole application process for even BPS that in some ways is not unlike charters, that families that understand the system tend to but do better in that, absolutely. In that BPS lottery. Absolutely, and we bring that point up all the time, right. not just in this debate, that we're not just fighting for the parents that are the most engaged and that know how to navigate the system. We're fighting to make the system more easily navigatable. But there are parents that will never, because of language and cultural barriers, because they're second and third shift workers, you know, and we've got to be those parents and those adult voices and advocates for those kids who, because of life circumstance, don't have an adult to do that for them. Newcomers, you know, Mattapan is the third largest concentration of Haitians in the entire country. Many of them are coming here with right. language and cultural barriers. They are going to end up, by and large, in traditional public schools. I have to say, again, I'm not anti-charter, and I'm not anti-choice, you know, at all. But what about uh, even there's an argument that, that charter schools have been a sort of a prod or something that's putting pressure on the district to push forward on some reforms. I mean, we've been trying for 10 years to lengthen the school day, which is something that high-performing charters have sort of just come in because of the autonomy they enjoy, which a lot of people say is sort of a, a missing ingredient in some of the Boston schools and their ability autonomy to and Autonomy and a lack way. of accountability and a, and a lack often of well, parental and of parental level four of, schools of, seem to of, lack of, accountability well, when they've uh, been languishing like that for years, aren't they? I hear you. But but what about local, uh, what about parent, parental uh, input? and uh, community oversight and an obligation to teach all of our children. You know, this is not hypothetical that there is cherry picking that is happening. And within our Boston Public Schools, they have an obligation and a commitment to teach every child. English language learners, our homeless students, students receiving special education services, students who have received trauma. I mean, 
you know, our schools are just incredibly under-resourced. This is not the time to lift the cap. This is not the time to lift the cap. I, so I want to push back on one thing, but I do want to say I get the timing piece. Um, if I weren't representing this type of district, and, and a lot of those Haitian parents were at the Mattahun School yesterday, and many of those Haitian parents do go to charter schools in the district, Brook, right. Mattapan, Kip. But for me, it is the time because there are just too many families. And whether it's we disagree sometimes and it's this mix um, reports as to the number of people on the wait list. For me, a thousand is too many who are looking if they're looking for something else. We need to do something now. We know how critical and how important education is to get folks out of poverty, to get them out of cycles of incarceration. Even our students that get into great schools and graduate still are at risk of being coming incarcerated, not reaching their God-given potential. But I want to push back a little bit, at least on the cherry picking piece, because I, I would have believed that in the very beginning when charters were first founded and came into Boston and in, into Massachusetts, because as an education attorney in the past, I was representing students, special needs, um, school discipline, against BPS as well as charters, and sometimes actually in MECO, where they were being pushed out of MECO, sent back to Boston. I think those numbers, and there's many data points out there that have pointed to the changes in that, where some of our great charter schools, some are not so great and should be closed immediately, but some of the great ones, their numbers have been increasing when it comes to the number of special ed students, English language learners, as you compare it to the city of Boston. And they've been doing a better job, some acknowledging they can do better. But I also like to say it's not for me about looking at the charter schools or what's going wrong with them. It's looking at us. It's pointing the finger back at us and saying, what can we do to make our system better? But at the same time, what do we get wrong? I was completely frustrated in cases against BPS, school discipline, special needs cases, where I also felt that our system sometimes counseled kids out to other schools, pushed kids out, or decided to not fulfill an IEP obligation and move them to another school. So some of these things happen in our own system. Accountability needs to exist for the whole system. And I think that we can have these types of conversations without doing the, the us versus them. Charters can be much better. BPS can be much better. Absolutely. And, and but, but for me, it's really about absolutely. that choice piece. And it's also acknowledging that some of this stuff that we complain about the charter schools also happens in our own system and parents struggle with that. And they also live in district four. So we can all always be doing better. Oh, absolutely. And I, yeah. I'm not, you know, vilifying anyone's oh, no, side no, here no. at all yeah. because there's, they're, you know, high, highly performing charters and highly performing uh, public schools. But again, you know, I think one of the things I'm struggling with most is that families in Acton and Weston and these other other places will have a say in this mm -hmm. and are influencing what will happen in classrooms that thresholds they will never cross. Their kids are going to be fine regardless. And this is a very Boston specific problem. Or at least Not so poor only right. for our school district, but for the finances of the city. Again, if we affect our bond rating, specifically in District 4, if I look at our capital investments, $1.5 million to renovate Roberts 
playground, 12 million to renovate the Fields Corner Library, 1.6 million for the BCYF Gallivan Community Center, and 25 million for new windows at Tech Boston Academy. These are all things that stand to be imperiled if we further destabilize or or if we compromise our bond rating. So this is not only about our school district. And I would just say, you know, one of the best quotes I heard that I think best synopsizes this, I was at the um, NAACP Freedom Fund dinner. The national NAACP chairwoman, Rosalind Brock, said, we did not come this far go through everything that we have to see the resegregating of our schools and the life and academics success of our kids left to the luck of a lottery. We are still talking about, even if we were to increase right now, the percentage of students that would be served by that is still so small. The lion's share of our kids are going to be in Boston public schools. We need to be investing $15 million in expanding early education seats not in charters, not right now. Right. But to this point about sort of the whole state weighing in, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about that. And, and in fact, I think there's been also concern that there's been a big push to get suburban voters to vote against this. There's been talk that it's going to harm their district schools, which there really isn't much evidence that it mm -hmm. will. And I mean, the scenario, one scenario I've heard, uh, you know, the governor has certainly been, been advancing this as well, is that what if the statewide vote is no on this, but the city's most affected vote, yes. And, and, I, and I do have to say, the, most of the polling data, including the polling done by Steve Cazella here of the Massing Polling Group, but, but his polling really just agrees with what we've seen in other polls here and across the country, shows that uh, communities of color support charter schools at much mm -hmm. higher rates than, than, than you know, more affluent white communities. So I think there's, if anything, there's kind of a, a chance of the reverse happening, that the ballot question may go down to defeat by suburban voters basically telling, I mean, you said you're upset about the fact that there's going to be a lot of folks in Acton and elsewhere having a big say over what and happens in Boston. And people out of state, people in, in New York that don't even live here. Right, but the you vote, know that are in, voters, that are in, that are influencing it'll be, this. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the vote total shakes out and whether it is kind of sub, suburban well, voters. Well, and also, if I could I just say, pivot to Andrea's larger point, we have to address the state issue, and we do need to apply our collective leverage on that oh, for no, us to I get the agree. reimbursements that we're owed. I absolutely, but I'm also, but we recently had a, fiscal, a budget hearing, or a hearing I should say, looking at the fiscal implications of question two. I was not convinced by the presentation of BPS that this would actually jeopardize those capital projects, jeopardize BPS. I seriously believe that with this, we need to have a conversation where we're pulling back the layers a little bit. Mm -hmm. So not just simply talking in general terms about if you add three charter schools, it's going to cost this. I asked the BPS um, CFO, Eleanor, to actually put together when a child leaves a BPS school to go to a charter school, what does, what does the cost of that school include and what do we need to be addressing there? Because obviously I have a lot of folks in my district who send their kids to MECO. I have a lot of folks in my district who have recently moved to find a better school system, and we never say that they're draining our system. But when they're going to the charter schools, we say they're draining our system. I re even though in Metco's situation or when people move, we don't get reimbursed, but for BPS, we get reimbursed for charter schools, not fully, but partially, but we do get reimbursed something. And that doesn't happen when a child moves or when they go to Metco. So I think we need to pull that apart and really answer that question. When a student leaves a BPS classroom and goes to a charter school, what cost for that individual school is, are they struggling with? 
How long will it take them to reorganize? And I don't know that we've had a robust conversation about that. And I think that's why some folks at the state house are pushing back on this idea that we should fully reimburse BPS 100% that first year when the child isn't there. I think they want to see those logistics broken apart. And I think we can have that conversation at the same time that we're giving these parents an, an immediate choice to a desperate situation. Well, I didn't hear all of BPS's presentation, but I was very impacted by the presentation by the, the chief financial officer for the city of Boston. Yes, she was there. Uh, who said yeah. that this would impact city services. And when BPS countered and said that if this were to pass, they would have to look for greater efficiencies, it was clarified that that would mean um, laying off of teachers and um, school closures. But it's clear that, I mean, there's going to be fewer kids. Even though we're looking system, at that now, that possibly. That sort of seems to be the math that, when the district shrinks, you will need fewer schools and fewer teachers. I mean, those are wrenching decisions, and that's, you know, that's something that. But again, know, it's not just about the impact with. on the district; it is the impact on the city's finances and city services that stand to be impacted. I guess at the end of the day, um, it's more important to me that we give these families something in the immediate um, than this conversation about the finances. I because for me. I think that we can figure out that financial piece. Um, I don't see how we're going to figure out this piece for those families, particularly on, um, particularly those families in District 4 that are looking for something now. And there are thousands that are looking for something else. And I think that, for me, um, is where I stand. But, Andrea, but District 4 has often, you know, and, and they're, uh, you know, very fortunate to have your advocacy and to highlight the fact that oftentimes Mattapan has felt um, overlooked and forgotten. And, and Dor so Mattapan and, and, and Dorchester. So, cor correct. Yeah. And that's specific in terms of equitable access to city services um, and amenities. Again, the work I've been doing around liquor license reform to make Mattapan Square a destination location. I mean, so I, I it's challenging for me to just, I can't be dismissive because it's our job as city councilors to ensure the fiscal sustainability, we have to be stewards with the budget, and we will still have fixed costs relative to the Boston Public School budget, while at the same time having to maintain city services. I don't want District 4 to be compromised in that way either. No, absolutely. But I do think many of the costs within the BPS budget are not necessarily fixed. I do think we have to make some tough choices about what works, what doesn't work, and then make appropriate, um, reflect that appropriately in our budget. And I think we get there when BPS sits down and says, I'm gonna develop a strategic plan, a plan for each level three, four, and five school, an individual plan for each as to what, um, our response is going to be, our plan is going to be for that school. And maybe it means bringing in more teachers, another principal. Maybe it means bringing in more partnerships. And at the base, every school having a foundation of social-emotional learning, which we all want to see, a base of a city-year partnership, which most of my school schools in my district have, but others don't, some basics that each school should have, and then what's unique and to each one we need to sort of pull apart and I make agree it there needs to but be I'd a, better, to a better alignment and coordination however there are things that we have fundamentally agreed upon I worked for three years to see a comprehensive sex and health education curriculum right. adopted as a part of the as a wellness curriculum at BPS and we can't implement it and you know who's at risk every child because Absolutely. access to that information should not be arbitrary or ad hoc healthy students are better learners Absolutely. and the same is true for social emotional wellness supports behavioral health and the like that should be a minimum so exactly mm -hmm. so but but the point is when you say that we need a strategic plan there we have a 
strategic plan. But because we are under-resourced, we cannot implement that because in order for that um, comprehensive sex and health education curriculum to be made available, um, district-wide, we need to hire health educators. And we've been unable to do that. My thing is, sorry, one last point. The strategic plan is not about the the sort of individual programs. It's literally looking at each level three and four or five school and then determining what is the plan on paper to turn around that school, literally from top to bottom, if it's a level three, four or five school. And that's what I would like to see. But I could play that scenario out for the one that I just cited for every single school. Absolutely. And it would still be the same situation. So we do need to do more in, in the space of alignment and coordination, but all the vision in the world cannot be actualized without the resources. And we have, I think. Okay. But that's what we're going to agree to disagree. <laughs> all right. But we can agree we, we do all want the best for our kids. Absolutely. And we Absolutely. both agree that education Absolutely. is the equalizer. So we're, we're just differing on tactically how to get there. Right, and I think that's what makes this conversation so interesting is to have yes. you know, progressive voices and, and the sort of, you know, what we've heard today is, is the same thing we're hearing about, frankly, sort of an issue that has divided progressives or d divisions within the Democratic Party, and uh, it, it makes the issue fascinating. It doesn't help us to resolve it, but certainly I think you can say that, that people on both sides of it are sort of have the same end point or goal of, of trying to figure out ways to provide uh, you know, access to quality schools for yes, all kids. Yes, and, and yes. And on that note, absolutely. I would just like absolutely. to say thank you yes, to thank you. every parent, every advocate, every canvasser, every parent, every student that has made their voices heard mm -hmm. on whatever side you fall in on this. We thank you for your passion and we thank you for your advocacy. And we hope your listeners can feel the love here because it is possible <laughs> to disagree Right, uh, right. And to do it respectfully and, you know. And do get out and vote on Tuesday. Right, well, yes. There, there are a lot of good <laughs> civics lessons then in all of that. And yes. I want to thank you both for coming in today. That will do it thank for you. this installment of the podcast. Make sure everyone to get out and vote next Tuesday. We maybe we'll have you back in and we'll try to sort things out afterwards because there's going to be plenty of work to, to do with education in the schools regardless of of the outcome of the vote on question two. But thank you again to City Councilor Ion Presley, City Councilor Andrea Campbell, uh, for our crack producer, Lear Johansson, and Michael Jonas at Commonwealth Magazine. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time.